Welcome to Great Australian Lives with Joe Hall for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello and welcome to Great Australian Lives. On today's program, it's my great pleasure to be joined by one of Australia's most recognisable faces as we discover another great Australian life. He first shot to prominence as the plumber with a lisp in Kenny, Australia's highest selling DVD up to 2006. He's enjoyed a life of performing on stage, TV, film working with some of the world's biggest stars locally and abroad. And this week is ambassador for the inaugural Australian Motoring Festival here in Melbourne. I welcome Shane Jacobson. Hi, Shane. Hey, Joe. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for joining us today. No, the pleasure's mine. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me on. Now, tell me about this Australian Motoring Festival. It's the first, is it? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure many people would know that uh, motor shows are nothing new. They've, they've existed for a very long while. And even as a, a kid, I must admit, one of my kind of first, I guess thrills as a kid looking at cars was that because obviously when I was a kid, uh, this, this isn't for all of your audience listening, Joe, as you know, but for a lot of them, we didn't have the internet when we were growing up. <laughs> and uh, so as we know, to, to go and sort of see cars, um, I was a motor, I call myself a motoring enthusiast more than anything, more than a rev head. I'm not that guy that had a hotted up car and did burnouts in the streets to terrify the neighbours. I wasn't quite that kid, not quite that kid. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, going to going to, to motor shows was a thing that, that I, I loved to do. I used to go with my stepfather a bit, and uh, and got to see cars up close and all that kind of thing. And then they evolved a bit. Of course, the internet did turn up, and then at that point, people could see a Ferrari by just typing the word Ferrari into Google. So it it, it changed the the, the face of um, of motor shows a bit. And they have to offer more now to move forward, and that's exactly what this is. So this is we call it the motor show that moves. So um, you can of course go and see new cars there as well, but there's also classic cars on display. Um, and uh, and we'll do a parade, and there's also there's music and family entertainment as well. Um, but but more importantly, people that are actually wanting to buy um, a car, there's a, there's a whole lot of technology on cars now that that really are saving people's lives. It's been a braking, you know, it's an issue with your braking. If you're going to apply the brake too hard, and the car's going to get out of control, they've got ways of saving you from doing that. And there's a lot, a whole lot of electronics now that come in and actually assist you with your driving to make it safer. So people can actually try that stuff. We've got areas where they can actually get in a car and try some of this technology. Um, you know, theoretically, for some people, it'd actually be a first time. Because, and now I'm moving off being the ambassador. Now it's a safety message. But, you know, I kind of I invite anyone when they're, when they're in a street where, they're, um, where there's no cars behind them, they should go to an area where there's not many cars or empty car park at night. And, and if they just drive down and apply the brake as hard as they can, you'll feel that there's a little there's a kind of vibration you'll feel through the pedal. And I've always said to my partner, only because she transports our kids, that you should get used to that feeling. So that in in the case of an emergency, you don't think something's going wrong. In fact, that you realise it's something that's going very, very right for you in trying to assist. So anyway, there's a chance to do things like that at the festival. So it's, uh, it, it, it really is. It's the, it's the future of where where car shows and motor shows will be. I was lucky enough to drive in the celebrity race uh, race at the Grand Prix one year, and um, how much fun is it? Oh wow, it's so much fun! And when you were talking about braking and the safety features and all that sort of thing, the, the driver training you do at Sandown, uh, as you know, is like just it's it's invaluable, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, Joe, I think you know I'm a motor in, beyond motor enthusiast. I actually have a CAMS racing license, both for National Rally and racing. I'm, I, I race cars, so um, and so I get a chance to to do all that kind of stuff in cars quite often and work with people who are, who are far better drivers than me. Um, you know, I've had the privilege and the honour of being with people like Craig Lowndes and a mate of mine, Steve Pizzardi, who runs drive days for all sorts of uh, manufacturers. Craig is one of our instructors, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, how lucky is that? That's, that's being read the Bible by Jesus. <laughs> um, but um, we, 
yeah, so I, I, I obviously get a chance to do it more than most people. But yeah, it's, it's the, the thing with driver training is it's. Um, I mean, I know people know this now, but there was a few mistakes that were made in the past. I felt when when people and I, I think people are much smarter for this and caught on to this now. Plus, the cars are safer with airbag, etc. But years ago, people used to get get it, uh, their kids and they'd say, "We're just going to buy them an old car and put them in that because they're you know they're for sure going to have an accident and we don't want to destroy it." The new car, but years ago the case used to be it was only the newer cars that had airbags and all the safety features in it. And I kept saying to people, you actually should give them your car and you should drive the old one. <laughs> if you truly believe they're going to have an accident, you should have them in the car with the airbags. It is your children. But, of course, the great part is now that, that nearly all cars have these safety features. But the next thing beyond that is, yeah, driver training. It's one thing to get your licence and understand road rules, but, but um, getting a licence doesn't really tell you how to handle a car. It tells you... When you're driving a car, and providing you're driving slow enough, the truth is it, they are relatively safe, of course. Um, and it's important to know what to do, you know, when you get to a set of lights. Um, but as far as swerving a pedestrian, even if you're following all the road rules and a, and a child or a pedestrian is to run out in front of you, there are all sorts of things that, um, that the driver needs to do, and dare I say it, in some cases almost instinctively, um, or at least have a thought to go to to understand what it is they can do to kind of make sure that they don't hurt that person in any way, shape or form. And... Um, you know, there's some swerve and evade stuff that, that you do around which is hats, brake application, how to do it. Um, but even something quite as simple as, and if I, you know, I don't mean to use your show as a chance to impart knowledge, give people some knowledge, but why not? Yeah, of course. The, the, number, the number one thing is everyone, I get asked all the time if, so, you know, if someone says, if you only had one thing you could tell people about driving, what is your number one clue? And it's just eyes up. Um, and it just means look further down the road. People quite often, if they're going around a corner, will look down at the corner where they're, where they're turning to. Um, and, you know, the greatest advice we can give is look further down the road. And um, because the truth is, and there's a bit of a, it's hard to give this visual display while we're talking on radio, but um, if you do, if you were to place something at your feet, we do it with witch's hats because the driving instructors do it all the time. But you could get a, you get a tissue or a hanky. You can drop it one metre or two metres in front of yourself on the floor. If you stared down at that, you can't see anything. If you were to do that on a road or even on a footpath or even in your own lounge room, um, but if you drop that one or two metres in front of you on the floor, an object on the floor, or even a pen and stare down at that pen, you can't see anything up the footpath. But if you drop that pen on the ground and look straight down the footpath, look up further ahead, you can see what's ahead and you can still tell there's a pen at your feet. So the point is, you know, I'm stealing uh, the instructor's words here, Steve Pizzardi always says that if you're looking up the road or everything down below you, you get for free. You get mm-hmm. that in your vision free, for free. It's called peripheral vision, of course. So um, it's the number one tip we say. If you can just keep your eyes up and see further down the road, you can kind of read read situations with more time to react. Yeah, and very smart too. And you're so right. Um, let's give the show uh, the festival a plug. Tickets start from thirty dollars for adults and twenty dollars for children. And RACV and VACC members save more than thirty percent on ticket prices. For more details, please visit AustralianMotoringFestival.com.au. Join us after this song as we go back to the start and find out where the love of performing started for Shane. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Joe Hall for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives on my MP for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Joe Hall here with Ambassador for the Australian Motoring Festival this weekend at the Melbourne Showgrounds, Shane Jacobson. Shane, let's go back to your childhood. You grew up um, in the Essendon area, is that right? Yeah, Avondale Heights in particular. My mum was born in Essendon, and I was uh, and raised in Essendon, and I was born at Essendon Hospital. Um, so the Essendon area, but Avondale Heights is where mum um, mum birth, purchased the block of land there when she was 
only in her late teens. So, uh, and they still live in that, that home today, that family home today. So, yeah, the, the western suburbs of Melbourne, we used to always joke that, you know, it was pretty rough out there. I used to go to Nidri Tech. We always joked that, you know, the only rule it had, it had a three-tooth minimum to get into school. Anyone that had more than three teeth was a tourist. But, uh, <laughs> but Sounds like the jokes they deliver to Collingwood supporters, actually. <laughs> <laughs> They're not jokes. That's from their entrance. <laughs> Hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't tell me you're a yeah, Collingwood yeah. supporter. Yes, indeed. Uh, you, my dad, and my best mate. Gosh. And you? Uh, Western Bulldogs. Of course. Western Bulldogs. I, I can't live out in the Western, not very for the Western Bulldogs. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me, um, your mum taught, so you you came from performer-type backgrounds. Your mum was a, a dance teacher and your father was in carnivals? Yeah, so my whole, yeah, so I'll start with mum. Uh, mum, and, and again, still does to this very day, mum's taught calisthenics um, and dancing and she's been doing it for well over 50-odd years now. And... Um, so yeah, I spent my most of my youth um, different times of the year. They would compete at uh, a competition. So I spent um, a lot of my time on a bus with sort of fifty odd or forty eight dancers and mum and me and Bernie the bus driver. There was only me and him as the other man on the bus. And I was a kid at the time, so I had friends that said later on in life, "Oh, that must have been great on a bus with girls." But I was a young kid. I just wanted to be with my mates on bikes riding around the neighbourhood, but there I was on a bus going to dancing competitions with my mum. <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, yeah, so mum, mum's always been around that, and so I'm one of four kids, and my two sisters have been, were heavily involved in dance. My little sister, Natalie, uh, did dancing as well, and in film clips such as John Farnham's uh, Lifted Up by Angels, she was the actual dancing ballerina, the angel in that, in that film clip. So they, they all did dancing as well. And then on my dad's side of things... Um, yeah, he, they, they were carny folk heading back to my my grandfather and my grandmother. Um, they, were, they were touring carnival folk. Um, but my, my grandfather died in front of my dad when my dad was only eight. Mm. So uh, I never really got to meet my grandfather, obviously. Um, but, yeah, they, they, were, they were carnival folk. And as a result, uh, they didn't have much money at the time. And after my grandfather died, my dad lived um, in Meribinong in, in, in Melbourne, sort of for those interstate that's not far from sort of the Flemington race course, if you will. And... Um, yeah, they, they, were, they, were, they, they were so poor. They, sort of, they were raised in a tent. My dad lived in a tent until he was 21. And he, he always joked that he was so poor he couldn't even afford to pay attention. But <laughs> they, uh, So, yeah, they, they came from very humble beginnings. And But the, the thirst for entertaining was the fact that, that really, you know, mum had the dancers and dad did a little bit of stand-up comedy as well, just local cricket clubs. And, uh, and my brother already at that point was had, had declared he wanted to be a director. Um, Clayton was directing film clips um, all through the 80s. And... Um, I, I, so there was, it was always around me. There was always, you know, the, the, the cloud of that I shouldn't call it a cloud in, in a negative way. The cloud that rained on me was the kind of the cloud of entertainment and humour because the dad's family were um, and mum's side too were just incredibly humorous people. They were very, very real, grounded Australian people that had a dry sense of humour that really appealed to me. And and when I was a kid, I was in scouting and I um, went along to see the gang show and I'd already watched my. Dad to get up and tell jokes at the cricket club and get up and perform at their little reviews and my sister's dance. And um, I went along to the gang show when I was about sort of eight years old and um, and saw a scouting show at the Palais Theatre and, and knew right then that's what I wanted to do too and just said to mum, I want to do that. And then kind of that, that was it. I was, I was already infected with the virus um, called entertainment and just never wanted to get a cure for it. Um, so you were, were you 10 when you were first in amateur theatre? When was your first kind of performance, I guess? Well, I always joke, I gave my first performance at eight. Actually, it was quarter past eight. We got a flat side on the way to the gig. But um, <laughs> well, mum said it was, about, it was about eight. 
eight years old, I performed in one of her calisthenics shows. I actually went on stage as a cowboy, dressed as a cowboy. I walked out on stage. I would have been on stage for all of two minutes, if that, maybe a minute, and um, and loved it. You know, you're terrified before when you're in the wings, and then as soon as you get on stage, you feel fantastic. And I think that's, I mean, anyone that has something they're really passionate about, I think I've heard race drivers and football players and netball players say the same thing, you know, when they're approaching grand finals or even going out for their first game, they're terrified on their way out. But once the whistle blows or the siren goes or whatever it is that declares your event a happening thing, that something else takes over and that's the joy, the passion to do what you want to do. So I, I did that and was nervous in the wings and went on stage and thought it was great. So yeah, it was eight, but then I started yeah, at, at the age of 10 was when I started performing in gang shows and not long after that started learning to tap dance and then went on to sing in bands and do radio and corporate comedy and um, corporate emceeing and, yeah, and the list goes on. Um, you mentioned before about our nerves. Um, I, I, the same with me. If I do live news, you know, I, I get nervous. But once I'm once the bulletin's underway, I'm fine. Do you still get nervous? I, I just want to say, Joe, at the first instance, I'm just shocked to hear that you, of all people, still get nervous. <laughs> you nervous. own the television show. <laughs> I, I, only, I only know news as proper news when it's coming from you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, but it's no, it's true. I do, and as you mentioned, footballers, I think I, I find it very interesting that even like people like Lou Richards, that you know, were around on TV for just ever, ever, yeah. um, he would say the same that he still got nerves and butterflies, you know. And most most great people on TV. You know, I find or on stage and theatre that I've met say that. So it's interesting you do. Yeah, well, the th- but the you thing can harness th- those nerves, can't you? Yeah, well, it's, it's different for me now. It depends on the performance. The only um, so now, if I get up in front of a live audience, it doesn't worry me. Um, doing corporate events, you know, I do quite a lot of corporate events and I do theatre shows. The opening night, you always get nerves, and for maybe the first few nights after that, doing because I do a lot of music theatre. I've done you know, Guys and Dolls, um, uh, Shame Warn the Musical, I did Drowsy Chaperone with Jeffrey Rush and. On the Birchmore, I know you've had Lisa McCune on the show, and I did Guys and Dolls with her and Shame on the Musical. She's and she's one of the Earth's great people, as I'm sure you know, Joe. Yeah, um, I just did Mother and Son with Nolan Brown and Darren Gilshannon and a team of people. So I do quite a lot of um, a lot of theatre in my performance. And and like I say, opening night you get your nerves up because you haven't had a sh- chance to get the show on its feet yet. And there's obviously a lot, you know. Once the show starts, the conveyor belt has begun. You can't stop it. Um, and but but once once the show's on its feet, I, I love it. And I don't get nervous, nervous before I walk out. I, but I just you know I, I just have the thrill of the performing. And I imagine a game, but there are moments, and we'll go with the football analogy for now. That once the season's underway, they're pretty right. But the grand finals are a very different thing. And there are certain shows, you know, if, you, if I'm hosting at the Logies, I don't get nervous. But if you're as in just giving out one or two awards, but I've had to um, host the AFI awards. Um, and that's in front of all your peers and things like that. When I've hosted an entire evening recently, I had to do the um, sort of the radio awards, and that's you know every every radio personality in Australia. Events like that, you know, they play on your mind before you go out. But same again, once once I get to the lectern or to the microphone and I start, um, then very quickly I, I relax because I'm doing the very thing I love doing. So, but but I do agree with you a bit that I think um, I think Sammy Davis Jr. said if, if the, when you stop being nervous before you go on stage is when you'll start giving bad performances. Mm. Um, or words to that effect, that's not it verbatim, but that was his point. That just, so, I, you know, it depends on the performance. That, um, and, of course, because you're, you know, there's, a, there's a few things at play. One is just nerves. You don't have to explain nerves. They just are what they are. But, you know, you, you're aware that you don't, want to, you, know, you, you don't want to look a fool and you also want to do a great job. And then you're aware as soon as you walk onto a stage or perform anything, you're opening yourself up to criticism. But I soon, I soon throw those thoughts out of my head very quickly because, you know, there's that, Great expression that um, 
you know, those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind, you know, with whatever you do. So, you know, you tend to get that in your mind and things start to come good pretty quick. Stay with us. Up next, we'll chat Kenny with Shane Jacobson. Don't forget to head to our Twitter page at Great Oz Lives for full podcasts of all the shows. You'll find Shane Warne, Molly Meldrum, Lisa McCune, and plus last week's special with the late Malcolm Fraser. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives on MyMP. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Joe Hall for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're with Great Australian Lives. I'm Joe Hall and I'm chatting to Australian actor Shane Jacobson. Shane, you really first shot to, I guess, the big spotlight was with Kenny in 2006. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, when Kenny came out. It's almost 10 years ago, um, which which I find unbelievable. But it's uh, it's almost 10 years ago that Kenny came out, and it was without a doubt. It was it was the it was the role that sort of launched. Well, not sort of. It definitely it launched my career. You know, tours that used to slam in my face were then held open after that. So um, and 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 a lot of people ask me whether I, whether it drives me mad that people still call me Kenny, but. It doesn't. I'm not one of those people that wants to turn my back on something that really worked for me. I know there's been performers in the past that have, uh, not so much now, I, I was going to mention Home and Away and Neighbours because I think now people really do know. You know, five years ago, people used to joke about, oh, they're from Home and Away. But, the, you know, those shows have really proven just uh, the kind of people that they can produce and spit out into the international industry. And, you know, Kenny was my was exactly like that. I don't want to turn my back on it because it, when we were doing it, I mean, me and my brother... Uh, would have given anything to have people enjoy that, and they did enjoy it. So there's no way to take away from it. So I've always said I think it's better to be remembered for something you've done than forgotten for everything you've tried. So from that point of view, you know, we 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 love the fact that people remember Kenny fondly and still call me Kenny. Um, well, as you mentioned then, um, but you've gone on to do so many other things. So you have many more things that we know you for. Whereas, say, a Paul Hogan will perhaps always be Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing. I, I must admit, when I finished Kenny, I then made <clears throat> made sure that what I went on to from there, I made sure they were different things. I, so I went straight on to do Guys and Dolls very quickly. I thought I better get back on stage because people will only know me now as Kenny, which is fine. But I need to I need to show people I can do other things. Um, and, and it is kind of the performer's job to take you work to to an audience. It's not their job to sort of research you and know what else you've done. So um, it, when I did Guys and Dolls, I was lucky enough to to win the, the Helpman Award for that. And then from there, yeah, I went. I did. Uh, I wanted to make sure I did drama because people said, "So you do you love comedy?" And I do love comedy, but I also love drama. And you know, I did two years of Time of Our Lives, and I was in Beaconsfield, the, the telly movie about the Beaconsfield mine disaster. And so there was there's so many things that I do like doing. And, and even in I did a film with Paul Hogan. Um, I've done about ten films now, I think. But um, uh, whatever the exact number is, and a whole bunch of telly movies as well. But with, with Paul Hogan, I did Charlie and Boots, which is a comedy. But the stuff that that I love in comedies is where there's also great pathos and that's what Kenny was as well. So there's there's often drama that's required in, in comedy shows as well. So in movies that, that have got a light heart, there's always uh, at some point a little bit of pathos in there, which is, is a great payoff. So I, um, yeah, I made sure and I still make sure that I do many and varied things. I do return to the stage as often as I can and I do enjoy doing TV, but I also enjoy presenting um, and doing television, but, but yeah, drama as well. So yeah, people say, what's your favourite? And I have chosen, I've chosen all of them. Incredibly greedy. You are. <laughs> um, and we're glad for it. Um, in 2006, you won the a- AFI for Best Actor. What was that for? That was for Kenny. Mm. Yeah, it was uh, given to me. Um, uh, yeah, well, at the AFI Awards, which was, I was up against um, Heath Ledger, who went on to be a mate. Um, 
and Gabriel Byrne and people like that. So it was uh, it was incredible to win that. And Kate Blanchett handled it to me, which made it even better. So. Do you, know, um, do you know, I actually think I, I was there that night. Um, I did go to the AFI one year and you, all those people, were, and I think Kate Blanchett was uh, was presenting. My son actually um, went to the loo and stood next to Heath Ledger, which is one of his favourite memories. He was oh, a big big fan of his. <laughs> did, did you know Heath? Yeah, I did. He's um, And I still know his, his, his family. I know his father, Kim, quite well. His father, Kim, is into, into motor racing. Um uh, but also just an amazing man. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I became friends with Heath uh, after that night, actually. I caught up with him a couple of times in America. And, you know, I'm not for a moment suggesting we're best friends, but I certainly knew Heath. And he's, uh, he's a great loss as a, as a human, let alone as a performer. Um, but he's, uh, I know his father, Kim, now, and his family are, are doing more now um, to raise awareness about, um, about the taking of, of, of legal drugs, um, but just about kind of because, you know, it's, it's been shown and proven now that, you know, he's unfortunately just had, was ill and took a potion of sleeping pills and a few things that were in the wrong order and, and then the wrong person can, can have a, a, a tragic outcome. So they're actually doing quite a bit to sort of raise awareness around that now. But, um, yeah, look, I, I did know him and he was an amazing performer and he was, I mean, really the, the world wasn't his oyster. The, the, he was, he was going to be a, a crab in a pond. He could have taken the whole thing over. He was such an amazing actor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, the real loss is the guy was just basically guy. And, uh, and that, that's, of course, what the world should miss before everything. Yeah, yeah, very sad. Um, Shane, after the song, I want to discuss more of your movie and, and stage and TV career. Stick around. There's plenty more to come on Great Australian Lives with Shane Jacobson. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Joe Hall for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Joe Hall here with Australian actor Shane Jacobson. Shane, you've, we've talked about Guys and Dolls, which um, was in, in 2008, but a couple of years later you performed with Jeffrey Rush um, in The Drowsy Chaperone? Yeah, yeah, at the um, Melbourne Theatre Company, yeah. Um, what was that like? Oh, it's amazing working with... The one thing I'm kind of, I, I know now, working with people like... When I did Guys and Dolls, I was working with Gary McDonald and, as I said before, recently with Nolene Brown doing Mother and Son. And and working with people at, now moving on to Jeffrey Rush working with him. The one thing I know now is the people that that are really really good at their craft and have been around for a long while. Um, that and and it's the same, same can be said for any industry. I'm not I'm not saying it's just entertainment, but those that are really good at it and have been around for a long while and make it look easy. They make it look easy because they work so have worked so hard at it over the years. And Jeffrey's just amazing to work with. He just he he never stops trying to perfect the performance. He never stops trying to hone the material. And he's not one of those, and I would say he's a perfectionist, but not in the way that's annoying. It's actually him just trying to nurture the work to a better place, and it, it actually makes you it actually makes you work harder yourself. Um, Gary McDonald the same. Working with him just on stage, it was done over a hundred and I did guys and dolls. I think I think I did two hundred and fifty shows of that. And even when you've done two hundred, Gary would still find a way of coming up and going. That timing was so much better with that. Should do that next time. <laughs> And I found Jeffrey exactly the same. You'd be doing, you know, you've done the performances, you've rehearsed it, you're doing it on stage, the crowd are loving it. And uh, and even if it's lines that aren't even his, he's standing on stage listening to something you did, you'll come up, that was great, that was that was even better, that, that timing that we did that. And it kind of makes you continue to work harder. And I think anyone, in, you know, it's the, it's the Bradman theory of batting, you know, you just never stop trying to get better. Mm. So um, so it's great as a result. And apart from that, he's an amazing performer. He's, he's uh, you know, an Australian icon. He's we're allowed to call him that now for sure. He is an Australian icon. So 
put all that together, what's the answer to the question of what's it like being with him? It's amazing. <laughs> yes, um, we've got a lot of talent in this country, haven't we? Um, and, ma- and, you know, making so much success overseas. Um, in 2012, you were in The Bourne Legacy, which was the American action thriller with a massive budget. Um, how did it compare, say, to being on set with, you know, an Aussie film? Oh, the difference between a game of golf and war. <laughs> it's um, it's just the other end of the, the other end of the spectrum. It's it, they would have more money they would spend on the lunch budget than what we made Kenny for. It's um, you know, I, I forgot what the final figure was because it, 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 I don't think it was the exact figure given. But you know, at the time it was going to be made, it was a two hundred million dollar film, and I think it probably went over that. But um, uh, it, I mean, it's just it, it is. It's just another planet. It, it's just fantastic though. It was great. It's great trying to get on that conveyor belt. And, be a part of it, um, but having said that, once you get inside the the machine, it, it's it's really no different. It was actually one of one of the cameramen. There was only there was a DOP and there were two cameras at the shoot. And the cameraman was the second cameraman was an Australian guy, and the um yeah, the, there was quite a few staff on board actually. Now that I think about, there were Australians. The makeup, the head of makeup, was an Australian one. Um, so yeah, at that point, I kind of got inside of it all. And then Jeremy Renner, who was the star of that one, not it was the one that. Jeremy Renner did. It was the first one that Matt Damon hadn't been. And Rachel Weiss is an Academy Award winning actor. They were incredibly normal and incredibly nice and welcoming. And so once once you get inside the machine, it all becomes very normal again. But it was uh, it was fantastic. I, was, you know, I always tell the story that when I got there, they had me they had me kept in a um they had me there's a the, uh, there was three hundred odd extras in the scene I was in, and uh, and they had a massive marquee, kind of like a circus marquee, which is where um, they they were they were putting their, their personals and getting changed. And we were shooting, we shot part in the Philippines and I shot the rest of the stuff in New York and we're actually using the New York printing press to make the, the scenes that I was in um, before we moved to the Philippines months later. And then uh, what happened was I'd filmed for about four hours in the morning and they'd had me put in, um, the, the changing room I had was, I had like a semi-trailer, which is like a 40-foot long semi-trailer. And it had about eight sets of stairs that went up to the side of the actual trailer on the back of this um, prime mover. Um, and each one of those stairs went to led to a, a small changing room, which they called a dog box. Someone there said, "Oh, you're in, you're in the dog boxes over there." And the best way to describe it, if you got a forty foot, you know, truck and trailer, um, divided by eight, that was the size of those rooms. It was like an oversized bus stop. So I opened the door, and there was a seat, to, a bench seat to my right. Um, up on the wall was a, a car stereo for music, and there was a, a toilet in the basin, and then there was a wall. Um, and there's some hangers on the walls, and there was a wall, and that wall was actually a roller door. And in this case, where I went in my room, the roller door was up, so it had doubled the size of it, which meant I had two bench seats, two toilets, two hand bases, more hooks than I'd ever need, and two car stereos. So, but it was still was it was it would equate to a very small room in the house, very small. Room. And uh, anyway, that was where I was staying. But I was pretty stoked that I got the roller door up. I got a double sized dog box. I was proud as punch, thinking I've done all right here. I thought, no one in this country even knows me. So we went and filmed for four hours and. When I was coming back, one of the assistants that was that was given the job of escorting me back, uh, she was kind of a bit red in the face, and I couldn't quite figure out what, what was going on. And she said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Sham, but to you, we had you in the wrong accommodation. You're not supposed to be where you are. And she looked a bit red, and I wasn't sure if she was angry at me. I couldn't quite make head or tails of it. And she said, we've had to move your personal items, and uh, I'm sorry, but we had to do that. And we've moved them. And I said, oh, no worries, no worries. And with that, I started to head off towards Circus Market. And she said, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going over to the... The big tent over there, where I assume is where my personal belongings are. And she said, "No, that's that's not where you're getting changed. That's your trailer there." And she pointed, and there was Jeremy Renner's trailer, Rachel Weiss's trailer, and then right beside that, the same size kind of trailer, this enormous 
Winnebago with push outsides with my name on the door. And I was just, they, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. There was this huge trailer for me. And at which point I realized she was embarrassed. She said, I'm so sorry if you want to ring your agent or your manager or look at having me fired. I can understand. And like, I'm saying, whoa, hang on. No, and I said, oh, mate, no, no, no. Just so you know, I said, mate, I'm just happy to be here. I, and I'm just... I'm just glad to be working. I'm, a, I'm from Australia. Are you kidding? I said, just so you know, mate, I said, um, in Australia, if they tell you you're going to have a trailer, uh, it's going to be six by four and there's still going to be firewood in it. Uh, so at that point, she kind of looked relaxed and she said, oh, I'm sorry. And she kept apologising. I said, oh, mate, trust me. It's fine. I was, I'd be happy to get changed in the back of a ute. You know, I just explain what a ute was. And... <laughs> So uh, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing to be honest. <laughs> That's hilarious. Typical <laughs> Aussie. <laughs> oh, she did say you guys do things a little bit different over there. I said, yeah, we do. <laughs> Stick around. Next, we'll see what the future holds for Shane Jacobson. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Celebrating Lives. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Joe Hall for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Joe Hall here with Australian actor Shane Jacobson. Shane, we've touched on your stage work a lot and we've talked about your movies, but you, you know, you've got an extensive career in TV from Top Gear to Great Australian Bake Off and, of course, you know, Fat Tony and Co. Um, do you love telly? Yeah, I do. It's, uh, I mean, there's a difference between all of them. You do films, and I, you know, I've got films coming out later this year that I've completed over six and eight months ago. They take a long while to come out. And then stage is the opposite. You obviously, you know, as soon as you deliver a song or a line, you get an immediate response. And TV is kind of the in-between land. Um, some of that stuff with, you know, if I'm doing things, I mentioned Beacons to before, or Fat, Tony and Co. Um, shows like that, they you make them, they do come out a little bit quicker. Um, uh, so there's not as big a break quite often as to when you finish production on that, when it gets on screen. Um, but, it, but, I, but I, you know, Time of Our Lives is a great example with the ABC. I love being a part of that. And um, the other thing is you, you tend to be part of a bit, bit more part of a family with, with television. You can sort of um, uh, kind of get into projects that last a little bit longer. And, um, and that's, 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 that's a bit of a rare thing when you're in entertainment because quite often when you do a movie, for instance, you know, the, the business is only open for the actors anyway, for the people behind the scenes producing it lasts a lot longer, of course. But, um, you know, you kind of turn up in your film for two or three months and it's over. And you got to, you started a whole new workplace after that. So, I, I, you know, I, I do love television, and um, and and I do love the fact that with some of the, it, it can be semi immediate <laughs> without having to wait for a year to, for it to come out. <laughs> and Top Gear, you would have loved, I guess, because you love the cars. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just that's just a guilty pleasure, isn't it? It's not even guilty. I'm proud of it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that, that was the best of both worlds coming together. At that point, it's not work. It's actually it's not even me hosting. It's just me being witness, having a bit of fun. <laughs> um, we actually spent some time together not long ago when um, I did a story for news on the 10th anniversary of the yeah. Dogland Studios, and you had shot a couple of films and were about to shoot. I think one with Kate Winslet. Um, yeah, that, that's the dressmaker. So that, that's um, that's finished production now. It's in post production. So. Yeah, it was called The Dressmaker, as you said, and it's uh, got Kate Winslet, um, Liam Hemsworth, uh, Judy Davis, Hugo Weaving, uh, Rebecca Gibney playing my wife, Shane Bourne, Guyton Grantley. There's a, a, a huge cast in that. So, yeah, that's coming out uh, in October this year, and it's uh, based on an Australian book um, written by Rosalie Hamm. It's an amazing book, a very popular book, and um, and it's, and it's going to be an amazing film. What um, a jo- wonderful cast. Yeah, and Jocelyn Morehouse directed it, and she was just... Um, you know, more often, you know, the script, there's three things that, that, that make a good movie, and that's a great script, um, number two, a great script, and number three, a great script. 
Um, and uh, but, but all of that, of course, has to be directed by the right person in order for it to all come together. And Jocelyn Morehouse, who, who directed it, um, is just a, a, a very calm, um, kind-hearted woman who's who happens to be a great director at the same time, um, who just held that team together beautifully. And um, we kind of all adored it. And, uh, and as a result, I think that all... All that stuff does end up on uh, in the lens and up on the screen. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a great film. Yeah, I can't wait to see it as well. What's what's coming up for you? What's What are you working on next? Uh, well, there's another film I finished um, called Oddball, which is coming out. and um, That was shot at Docklands too? Yeah, yeah, we shot part of that Docklands and, and the rest of it down at Warnable and a bit all over the place, to be honest. But, yeah, we, we, we lived at Docklands for a while with that as well. Um, yeah, it's based on a true story. It's easier to explain this true story than it is the film. And then at the end, I just say, and the film's based on that. And it's about, there's a, there's a guy called Swampy Marsh, um, who, who's a chicken farmer down in Warrnambool. And some years ago, there was a colony of penguins, um, about a thousand strong, that lived on a small island just off the mainland of Warrnambool. But unfortunately, um, at low tide, the foxes, the local foxes, figured out they could cross the island. And they did so and decimated the population of, of the penguins from around about a thousand down to, they estimate, about 10. And at the time, there were a lot of people. They were very aware of this, that, that these um, penguins are being just murdered um, uh, wholesale. And uh, one of this chicken farmer, Swampy Marsh, has a lot of chickens and he keeps them protected by using the Italian-bred dogs, the Maremma dogs, and they use that Morning Ralph cartoon is based on a Maremma sheep dog because it protects sheep. And uh, Swampy Marsh um, had the Maremma dogs to, and still does to protect his chickens. And he said, how about I put one of my dogs on the island this protect the penguins. I mean, after all, he said penguins are just a chicken in a dinner suit, so my dog will probably look after them. And um, I think at the time, the council may have sort of said, look, I don't think we can have wild dogs on the island. I have dogs on the island. Swampy sort of said, have you told the foxes that? <laughs> so anyway, um, cut to the fact that Swampy does put um, his, his marimba dogs on the island, and it worked, and it revolutionised the conservation practice of, uh, of protecting penguins all over the world. So it's a film based on that very true story, and the, and the, the penguin population now is, is thriving, and, and it's going beautifully, and that's all thanks to this guy, Swampy Marsh. And he's a, quite, quite a character, to say the least. So, yeah, I play Swampy Marsh in a film called Oddball. It's a beautiful, beautiful film, and it's, the great thing is it's, a, it's one for the entire family. Like, literally, Grandma can go with her daughter and her daughter's daughter and sons, and, and all this goes on. So it's, I'm really looking forward to that. And penguins are such beautiful creatures, aren't they? They also make great comedies, that we found out. You just film a penguin, just them trying to walk 10 steps, they, they instantly become amusing. You're not wrong. I just watched Happy Feet the other day. It's hilarious. I, I know. You, for whatever reason, they are natural comedians with just... In, the, in, in their body, their, you know, their gait, if you will, just the uh, way they walk. Just one quick last question. What, what, what's, what are you most proud of in your body of work? I was going to say, I've got to say um, my children first. Mm. <laughs> um, Good answer. And then, yeah, and then second, I'd probably say my children, and then third, I'd probably say my children, but if there's room for four. Um, look, I, I, we probably, I probably have to say Kenny because it, it is the thing that opened all the doors for me, and it is the thing that me and my brother did together and our family are in it. Um, it's something that we can sit down and, you know, my children and my children's children can sit down in 20, 20 30, 40 years and well beyond um, my time here on earth and watch it and be able to point through, go through scenes and go, that's your grandmother, that's your grandmother, that's your grandfather. You know, my dad played my dad, my nephew played my son, you know, my <laughs> mum's on the plane. We're surrounded by family and friends in that. So to have a, you know, of course it wasn't just a home movie, but for the sake of this interview, let's just say it's like a home movie. It's filled with our family and friends. And it was something that, that, that worked very well for me and my brother and, and, and got me the career that I always wanted. So I have to say, Kenny. 
And fair enough too. Um, Shane, thank you so much. As always, it's a pleasure talking to you. I love um, chatting to you. It's it's great and, a, and it's an honour to have you on the show. Oh, Joe, you can't say the word honour. You're, <laughs> you're one of the angels of television and one of the nicest people on earth. You can only say to me, I will only allow you to say um, thanks for coming on the show, mate, because I consider you a mate. So you cannot be honoured by me because I like you too much. <laughs> you're very sweet. <laughs> um, well, and- Joe, th- thanks for having me on too. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be spoken to by someone that actually is a human that happens to work in entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> They're not that rare. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, we know the good ones, don't we? We do. And look, if you're looking for something to do for, with the family this weekend, pop down to the Australian Motoring Festival at the Melbourne Showgrounds. Go to www.australianmotoringfestival.com.au. Don't forget, you can follow the program on Twitter at Great Oz Lives for upcoming interviews and any you may have missed. This has been Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Catch us next week from 5 on MyMP as we discover another great Australian life.